let's talk about trigger warnings and perhaps you can expand on what trigger warnings mean to you. Trigger warnings have been bandied about and I think they mean it, it's a term that means different things at different times. I understand it to be a content warning to in the way that sometimes you'll see it at the beginning of a, a TV show or you'll see it at the beginning of an NPR, you'll hear it at the beginning of an NPR, this piece may be difficult for some viewers or this piece may have content that is not appropriate for children. It's saying that there is somewhat explosive content and that seems reasonable to me to a certain extent that's worth saying so that people can brace themselves, can say, hmm, uh, maybe I want to go there, maybe I don't. The problem when you get more precise than that is that you're talking about material that can potentially trigger panic attack or nightmares or uh, any number of symptoms that are associated with trauma. But trauma is not such a specific thing that you can say this generates that and I was going to give you this example uh, for over 10 years if I passed a hospital went, saw a movie that had a hospital in it, had anything to do with hospitals, I would start to shake and cry. It was a, an awful response. Are you going to tell people, sorry, no, there's a hospital in this? We don't know. In other words, trauma is associative. I may associate what triggers me, maybe something completely benign in any other circumstance, often, the, uh, 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 specific thing itself. It may be that we read a rape scene or we, we uh, see uh, an intense emotional scene and yet even though that was something that the person lived through, they disassociated from that. You can't tell. There's no way to know. What you can do, I believe, is to try as a teacher to take care of, to be aware of, to be sensitive to the reactions that people have to material that is inevitably explosive. That's what we deal with. But to go any further than saying, yes, when we go in this direction or you're going to read this material, there are parts of this that you may find disturbing. Beyond that, I think you're allowing a doorway for people to say, oh, then I don't want to go there. May I use one example in particular, which is um, a couple of years ago, a colleague showed several of us a film, a film by a very well-known and very highly respected filmmaker, not one of my favorite filmmakers, but I wanted to see the film. There was no warning, though, that a horse was killed on screen. A real horse was really killed. It was one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen in a film. It was hateful. However, I didn't like the film and I detested seeing this. I'm glad I saw it. Why? Because part of my life, all of our lives, I think, is to keep pushing the envelope to put ourselves in places. I don't want to see pornography. I don't want to see things that are, are obscene. But I do think that there's a lot that if I had the, the warning beforehand, I'd just say, no, I'm not going there, that I benefit from. That's what art does. It opens the envelope. It gives more opportunity to push yourself into places you're not comfortable. Do, am I glad I saw that horse being killed? No. But on another level, I think it's appropriate 
that I say to myself, this is part of what this artist is doing, and I want the freedom to respond to it. I don't want to withdraw from it. Are there any times when trigger warnings should be used then? I think that first of all, in a classroom, it's important to say at the outset, this is a space where you will do your best work if you feel safe, comfortable, if you know that at any point you can withdraw, if at any point you feel the need, you can leave, you can pull away, you can do what you need because you taking care of yourself is really important. And I am a resource and I can help you find other resources for to deal with issues that go beyond what the class itself is about. If things bring up bad material for you, talk to me. I think it's also appropriate at times to say we're about to look at some material that has some disturbing elements in it. A silly example, but I'll use it. In um, my acting comedy class just now, I used a scene from Neil Simon. He is a master craftsman, hilarious, but it also is 35 years old and full of stereotypes about women, especially about Jews. He is Jewish and he is writing stereotypes about Jews, but also about African-Americans, about servants, about women particularly. And I said, this is master craft, but you're going to look at this and you may very well find some of these stereotypes really offensive. I do. But it was written in a different time and I want us to look at how he crafts what he does. And that was it. We didn't perform the play, but we looked at it. I thought it was appropriate to say at the beginning, look, of course, there are some issues here in terms of today's understanding of what we like. I think that was the right way to go to say, this is an issue, but we're not going there. We can discuss this. We will talk about humor and morality. But right now, we're looking simply at the structure of jokes inside a play. I, I'm not sure that I did well, but my feeling is that it's appropriate to say, yes, there is territory here that can be problematic. And we can talk about that. Right now, we're doing something a little different. Is there ever a time when you would advocate against them? I think that except for the general frame that I'm suggesting to tag material as potentially harmful is first of all wrong because you don't know what's harmful. You have no way of knowing. Secondly, I think that you are signaling to students who may wish to armor themselves a bit, you're signaling that it's okay to withdraw, when most times it is much better to go forward. So I don't think that anything beyond a warning that says this material may be difficult for some of you. If it is, feel free to deal with it. Take responsibility and deal with it if you need to. Do whatever you need to and you have my support. I want to give an example again. I did a film on Jews and Gypsies, Roma, many years ago. As part of my research, I went to the U.S. Holocaust Museum. I know myself, and I had no desire to see the museum. But after several hours of interviews, people there, they gave me tickets, put me on the front of the line, and so I went. After three and a half hours, I came out with a fever, shaking. It makes me ill. I cannot bear it. 
but it was much better that I saw it than not. My desire was to say, I can't go there. But truly, fever and all, I was better off. I had the option at any point to leave, which is right. But to say, take one more step, as opposed to a professor signaling, uh-uh, you're, you're going to get hurt if you go here. I'd rather say, here, my hands will hold you if you need. But try. I think that we're making it too simple to withdraw when it's engaging instead of avoiding that's really healthy for people. And healthy is what I care about. I care about the health of my students, the emotional well-being. I absolutely do. You can't act, you can't learn, you can't grow if you don't feel safe and able to sustain. But that doesn't mean withdrawing. I want my students to feel safe, to feel that I can hold them in my hands, that there's a container. If you don't feel safe, you can't grow. If you don't feel at ease, you have, how can you learn? How can you create? But what I hope is that they will extend themselves, knowing they can at any point step out, pull back, but rather to engage than to withdraw. I don't want them to withdraw. It's said that the group of students entering university mm. today is the most diverse in history. So how, as a teacher, do you prepare for the possibilities that not all students are affected by the same issues? Whether we are able to communicate and empathize across cultural differences, racial differences, religious differences. This is a huge issue and it comes up a lot in theater. Most people who act believe that acting is an art of empathy and that on some level we really share, we connect to human experience and I believe that. Do I understand, do any of us understand perfectly the experience of someone else? Of course not but we do overlap. Pain is pain. Love is love. How you or you or anyone comes through life and what they experience and the way they grow and the things that are important to them will, may differ, very likely. And I, each of us, needs to hear. I need to hear from my students. I need to hear where the differences are. But I have to. For me, I couldn't be in this profession otherwise. Believe that there's essentially a basis of communication, an empathy, an understanding of human experience that we share. I've done work in far-flung communities. I've worked in Eastern Europe. I've worked in Bosnia. I've worked with Roma and, and uh, a number of people in Israel, Palestine. I am very interested in situations and realities that I may not know anything about, not directly. I don't live those. But that doesn't mean that I can't hear and question and share. I think that to imagine that our differences are so vast that we can't understand each other is to take away the whole premise, certainly of art and secondly of education. Yes, we have diverse students coming in. I'm not sure, 
I'm not sure even what that means, except that I need to, all of us need to be more open, more inviting, more engaging. There's no, to me, there's no threat in that. As long as we are all uh, saying that each one of us has a valid story to add to the tapestry of stories. Each one of us has a valid perspective. It does mean, and I hope that over the years I've become more aware and more sensitized to what happens in a classroom, to classroom dynamics that can hurt people who are, for whatever reasons, feel outside. I know I felt, for other reasons, very outside the educational system when I was in school. I certainly can empathize with people who come in and say, Wow, this feels foreign to me for whatever reason. And it's part of my job, I think, to weave together a classroom and hopefully a whole community on campus to be part of that, that says, no, 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 we expand. And you are part of this community. You are very much part of this community, but part of that means that I, as, as a person who teaches, has to be especially sensitized to the signs and symbols and words that can hurt, the things I didn't know 30 years ago were hurtful, I'm much more, I think we all are much more aware of that. That doesn't mean to me a silencing of myself, it means simply to be more aware. I'm very rigorously against anything that is censorship or silencing, but I don't see this as silencing, quite the opposite. I see this as a way of saying, no, I honor what you, are, what you need, what you're coming in with, your experience. Um, I'm going to share something, and, and maybe this isn't appropriate, and if it's not, you'll cut it out. I was teaching an Acting One class. Uh, one of the things they do is write journals, and I had, in one of my students, she was writing to me that she felt very alienated because I used the word brouhaha, and, seriously, and I was astonished. And in talking with her, it turned out she was, in fact, a first-generation Native American from Alaska. She had no idea what the word meant and assumed everyone else did. It's part of the way I talk. I have no idea. But it brought up for her a whole series of things that said, nobody here knows who I am. Nobody here knows anything about me. You know nothing about fish camp. You know nothing about anything. And of course, it was true. I had no idea she was even Native American. There's no way I'd know that unless she said. It was this little thing, brouhaha. But the fact that because she was journaling and she could let me know that, I then invited her as well as everybody else to do, they do little monologues of self-introduction and she did hers about fish camp. It's, we have to assume a good attitude among each other. We have to assume that we're are, uh, well-meaning. But of course we're ignorant of each other in many ways. How could we not be? I had no idea. I was delighted to learn more about her. And the class was too. But without that, without reaching out to me, or in this case, just this little instance of a word, I wouldn't have known. I don't know if that fits, but it's part of what I'm saying. We need communication, dialogue, and openness, and an assumption of good intentions all around. Just as a response, I think that's an amazing story. Okay. I, I like it. I, it okay. sort of sets a, a, a good example mm -hmm. for a lot of what you're saying. So how do you as a teacher create an environment that's conducive to the learning of all students? And I think you did just give us one example. Creating an environment that is conducive to learning, experiment, to the work of an artist, really, uh, which takes daring and, and courage, 
is an ongoing project for anyone who teaches. I don't have a magic formula. What I believe is that I try to stay absolutely attentive to what is happening to the bodies in my classroom. There's a lot of information that comes across, some of it written, and that's why I have journals. I need to know. Some of it is to try to invite conversation with me aside. Everyone in my class knows that. They are welcome to, and really invited to talk with me. Um, but some of it is just a physical awareness. I was doing an exercise last semester in a class, um, and I had a wonderful small group of students, and one student clearly had pushed himself to the edge of where he was comfortable. And I said, good, and I pulled back the exercise. I didn't want to call attention, but when we processed it later, he did in fact say, yes, I was starting to get uncomfortable. I can only do the best I can to be aware of that, to be sensitive. I do want to say one thing, and that's why communication is vital, and it's very much about trigger warnings. Many, many years ago, I had assigned a scene from Shadowbox, okay. and it deals with this particular scene with a woman who's um, involved with her mother who is very ill and about to die. I assigned many scenes, but this particular scene, and the student who I had assigned it to came up to me and she said, after class, she said, I don't know if I can do this scene. You don't know, but my mother died three weeks before the semester began. And I was like, no, you should, of course, you shouldn't do this. There's no way, obviously, I could know that. But the fact that, that she told me, and that's what I want to hear. Of course I changed that. She wasn't even sure if she should, but I don't want her to go where it's raw, where it's new. Of course not. It's not therapy. It's not the place to do this. I want her to explore where she can, not where she's going to grip against it. But that requires the kind of dialogue and openness that I can only do my best to try to say, yes, please talk to me. Not specifically, no, if this is scary to you, tell me. But rather to keep the environment welcoming and open. You've lived through your own share of personal trauma. Yes. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I do. Okay. I... Um, just finished writing a memoir, uh, which was very, very healthy and important for me to write. I grew up with a mentally ill mother who was extremely abusive. I was a runaway from very early. And uh, when I was 16 and was three quarters of the way across country, I was raped. And I say this, why I think it's important to say, first of all, I didn't talk about it. I didn't accept it for 15 years. I the next morning, I saw a man being beaten, and I talk about that all the time and get extremely upset. It took me 15 years even to accept to myself that there was something that happened the night before that had damaged me. I certainly grew up with a lot of shame and a lot of uh, problems. I think that we... And when I say we, I think that so many people have, are damaged, are hurt, are, are in so many ways bruised. That for me just over years finally has given me a place of empathy to say, right, I'm not alone. And to my students, you're not alone. 
I don't, I don't share this all the time, but I think it's important to say when I speak about this, I care deeply about protecting young students from hurt, from damage. I just don't think that, that, that the best way forward is necessarily to keep them away from material that, is, it, that asks a lot. I think that one of the things that is amazing to me is that young women can actually talk about these things. I couldn't at all. There was no space. I assumed it was my fault. How fabulous that there is a culture that's open enough that at least we can talk about it. In no way in my deepest heart do I want to hurt any of my students or anybody. But I do know that Avoiding it, pretending it's not there, taking that—that that is not an answer. If something in your life is so damaging, and many for many people it is, and so present that the thing you read or the thing you're picking up in class is going to bring that all back, then that's an impairment that you need help for. And I want to help you get that help, but I don't think that that's the same thing as saying we have to keep you from reading, from exploring material that deals with this. That's part of the way we heal. I see other people. I didn't know as a kid that other people had abusive mothers or went through any, I had no idea because there was no one for me to talk to. But reading was my way to health. And I believe in that, I really do. And I've gone through a lot of physical, really a great deal of physical problems. And uh, that too, I think what that does is allow us, allow me to feel more, I don't know, compassion to myself even and to everyone I'm with. I want a compassionate classroom, but I don't want a non-rigorous classroom, if that makes sense. How does your own story, how does that inform how you help your own students learn how to process sensitive material? And I think you talked about that a little yeah, bit. I so. did. I spend a lot of time professionally writing about, thinking about working with trauma. I work with prisoners on death row. I've just written an essay on creativity and trauma. I believe that theater and writing saved my life. And that informs everything I do. I can't even speak about it in any concrete way except to say this is deeply who I am. Every character I play on some level has some trauma because that's what theater is. But physicalizing it and exploring it and expressing it is enormously healthy for me. And I believe that, therefore, it is for everyone else. <laughs> I think it's important to discriminate. Let me explain. Trigger warnings, we've been talking about them and that's fine, but they often get conflated with ideas that I don't like, which have to do with silencing, censorship, disinviting, not listening to points of view that you disagree with. A safe space, and I believe in having safe spaces. I think students, I think all of us need safe spaces. I really do. Emotional safe spaces. I don't believe in intellectual safe spaces. I believe we're a college, a campus, where controversial ideas are the point of what we do. So as long as I can make that distinction, I'm very happy with that. 
Safe spaces, yes. Intellectual safe spaces, uh-uh. 